Coming to you from Taps Lounge in Jamestown, North Dakota. And with me this week is Brendan Delvo. Good to have you with me, Brandon. Thanks for having me on, Tyler. Yeah, thanks for uh, grabbing the beers to talk a little politics uh, here in North Dakota. And the reason I wanted to visit with you is for a couple reasons. Uh, listeners might not know that you were a uh, candidate for the North Dakota legislature in the 2016 election up in northwest North Dakota. So I want to talk about that. Also, last week was, uh, or Monday was Memorial Day, and you are a veteran. And also, you work with an egg organization. So all of these things are, are top of mind uh, right now. In fact, uh, you know, we have a budget coming out from the president that impacts both veterans' issues and egg policy. So I just wanted to get your take on how it impacts North Dakota, where you are seeing this budget play out and what you're hearing because you, you visit with farmers, you, you visit with the veterans, so just lay it out for them. Sure. Glad so, to do it. Yeah. <laughs> so have at it, man. What, what are you hearing out there? I mean, let, let's start with, with veterans' issues. Like I said, Memorial Day was on Monday. Yep. So obviously time for people to be reflecting. Um, you know, not to make that holiday political, but the budget from President Trump just came out and there's... There's impacts to veterans there, and I know that during the last campaign, there's a lot of uh, chest pounding of you know for increase in veterans affairs budgets and uh, making sure veterans are treated right, which we can all rally behind, of course, absolutely as we should. Um, unfortunately, historically, might not have been the case. Are you seeing that play out now with this budget, or just you know what's your take on all this? Well, just being a combat veteran and serving uh, from 2002 till 2013. I've had the, the honor of actually serving under a Republican president and a Democratic president. So I've got to see both sides of the coin uh, from the early years of, during the Iraq war to uh, the VA kind of getting up and off its feet and really addressing some of the post-traumatic stress issues that, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, that involved uh, a lot of us, uh, roughly three million veterans that have served uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. So. I've got to, like I said, see both sides of that coin, and there are some things in this new proposed budget that are scary. Uh, what we're seeing, uh, where they want to up the defense budget, you know, by what was it, 54 billion, I believe. Yeah, it, it, it's, dramatically it's increasing. A, it's an astronomical number, but people got to realize that when you want to up that budget, other things are going to be cut in the process, and. Uh, this can affect anybody. Just, I mean, we, we see it play out here in North Dakota. Uh, cuts to uh, social services, uh, basic health care needs for people. Uh, and that can even affect some of uh, our veterans as well. We are fortunate enough here in North Dakota to have one of the better VA facilities in the country. And if I remember right, I think we're in the top 10 for places that military retirees usually come to mm -hmm. after retirement. So we, we are in our way kind of in, in a little bit of a bubble. Uh, but on a personal note, my my wife's uh, dad has suffered from Agent Orange poisoning for most, pretty much most of uh, Jesse's life. And I hear a lot from him on some of the health care that he's received. He lives in South Carolina. Uh, South Carolina is definitely 
on a different spectrum than we are for healthcare needs sure, yeah. regarding veterans. Mm -hmm. And he has done everything from writing as everything from state representatives on up to his congressman and still hasn't heard back. Uh, this is a gentleman that served honorably in the Air Force during Vietnam and he's losing fingers, toes, uh, has a hard time walking, is, wants to work, has a hard time uh, being able to work. So I might not have all the statistical data that right in front of me, but uh, that's a, that, that's just one story of probably millions of veterans that that are, could be possibly affected by this proposed budget. So right. it begs right. the question of: Is it going to be harder for him, as it already is, but harder to receive that that care that he needs? Uh, I really wanted. I just I can't hit that home enough uh, that there there's a face. To, to, to that, well, and there's a story behind that. Th there is, and I think, unfortunately, the way um, the discussion has gone over the past, you know, years, I guess, the past few years, is uh, the we we politicize uh, numbers of veterans. We don't actually put the story behind it and put a face to it. Um, you know, I, I'm actually on my way back home to Fargo from Dickinson, and um, every time that I'm driving east of Bismarck on 94 I see that Agent Orange sign yep. on the uh, north side of I-94. And I always think of uh, Senator Richard Marcellet, who was a Vietnam vet, uh, Democratic senator from up in the Raleigh area. And, uh, you know, he he's out there and he's got, you know, Dick Dever, the Republican senator from Bismarck out there trying to, to push just the, you brought up the Agent Orange thing, so that's what brings me there is trying to push for there's more funding to get the awareness out of the, the impacts. You, yep. You know, it, we don't hear the stories here locally enough of how that specific use of Agent Orange is impacting not only people that serve, but also their kids and grandkids. And, uh, you know, we, we always see campaigns uh, locally and nationally saying, look, we got to do all we can for, for veterans. But when it came to the Agent Orange thing, when I was served with both Senator Dever and Senator Marcellet, it came down to putting money into programs to help individuals with Agent Orange to spread the message. And what do you think happened? We never could find the money for that. We found money for oil tax cuts. We found money for income tax cuts. All these other things. But the priority after the campaign wasn't the veterans that we campaigned on, it was other things. I'm just a little tired of, for campaign and election purposes, we use people who have served like yourself yep. to get elected. And then when it came, comes time to actually providing um, the services and the funding to help individuals, whether it's PTSD or service animals or uh, you know, treatment for alcoholism or, or drug addiction that we've seen, we can't find any money. And it's unfortunate, and I'm just curious if you've seen that or if you've heard that from um, your fellow veterans in North Dakota. That Have they noticed that it, it almost seems like it's a campaign issue versus a, like a budget priority in the state here? Yeah. Uh, well, I guess just a little bit of background for some folks. Uh, I enlisted, like I said, uh, back in 2002. And I went to Iraq in 2004, and then I went back again as an infantryman in 2008. And on both of those deployments, I volunteered uh, the first time with a unit out of Southern California, and the second time with um, a unit out of uh, Washington. So I've got to see 
folks that are from different parts of the United States, and then they've obviously, since our deployments, have gone abroad and got to see just the different kind of health care that they've received. And it has been tough for a lot of them. And I, I agree with you on some of that, that some of it does become lip service uh, politically. I don't agree with a lot of that. It's it's a commitment. I still see myself in a way as serving, even though I was honorably discharged in 2013. I still look uh, after some of my fellow veterans that have served before and try to help them in any way. Uh, I can honestly say, just from my own experience, that I had some bumps with the VA system, but over time, you you know, you work the system, you do the research, you find the right people to help you along your way, and there are success stories that can come out of that. And I really try to hit that home with a lot of my uh, fellow soldiers that I know, is to not get discouraged, and to just go through the system. It's there to help you. There are some things I totally agree with that need to be fixed. Uh, and I mean, obviously, some of the health care that, that some of these states are giving their veterans. But there, it's a process. I mean, we've served honorably in the military. The military is a process. Lines are, waiting in lines a very common thing. Uh, and there is some of that that is involved. Right, yeah. So one way to help your fellow veterans is to run for elected office. Absolutely. And uh, I know that I've been reading reports nationally lately that are showing that at least Democrats nationally are trying to recruit more veterans to, to run for office. Uh, and I'm not trying to make this a Democrat versus Republican thing. So, but I'm just saying that I've seen that report and you ran for the, the legislature in North yep. Dakota just last year. Like I said, at the, the top of the, the happy hour that we're having here. Uh, so explain that that experience. I mean, obviously one of the platforms that I'm sure you ran on, I, I apologize, I was running my own race, I didn't follow yours closely. I totally understand. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm sure that you were explaining your experience when it comes to being a veteran and, and seeing issues, at least locally, that could be improved upon for veterans when it comes to egg policy, and then the fact that you were running as a Democrat in northwestern North Dakota, where it's not uh, necessarily popular to be what is categorized categorizes as a Democrat up there. So just, you're trying to run to help veterans beyond just the camaraderie of being uh, a veteran. So uh, tell us what that experience was like. Sure. Uh, well, obviously, like you said, Northwest North Dakota is, that, that's a tough nut to crack up there. Uh, but running as a veteran, I really tried to hit home my experience and my leadership experience that I gained uh, from being a vehicle commander and being an infantry vehicle commander uh, and basically molding a team of people together that early on in the deployment didn't know me that well. Uh, and I used a lot of my military lessons and that drive uh, to run a good solid campaign given maybe everything that was kind of against me, with the demographics and whatnot. Uh, and I really try to hit on uh, healthcare in rural areas for veterans. Uh, here just uh, the other day, a friend of mine uh, was at the uh, state DAV convention, and I'm a disabled American veteran member myself, and it was the first time that no World War II veterans were there to be recognized. So we're starting to see that greatest generation pass on and that was one part of my platform was making sure that our older veterans have access. Uh, and part of that was seeing, I can't remember the bill uh, number exactly, but 
there was a cut somewhere with money to veterans in rural areas with transport, I think. I think that was the across-the-board cut, actually. Uh, There was something in the form of state transportation and services, and that really bothered me because I know multiple veterans up in Granora or Crosby, Noonan, Flaxton. I mean, you're seeing that whole upper tier of the district I ran in where they have to go 80-plus miles just to receive health care. That... That affects the pocketbook pretty, pretty immensely, and that might also involve having a family member to take them. Right. Somewhere. So now, now you have a family member that's taking time off of work, yep. taking a vacation or a sick day just to transport a veteran or you know yep. a family member to take them to the hospital to get the care that they need. That should be provided through governmental transportation costs. That yep. again, it came down to well, we got a cut and you know dubbed across the board, but. If there was a little bit of leadership and priorities placed, we could have avoided some of that. Yep, and there's only so much help that, I mean, county veteran service officers can do. Uh, Sometimes staff might be limited, and I mean, just given our budget situation, you're not gonna see a lot of extra staff or somebody that will be there to drive the transport van. So there's a lot of reliance on volunteers or just fellow veterans being able to do it. Well, and it comes back full circle with what you said, that somebody has to take time off work in order to do that. It's a good service to have. I mean, I've transported veterans myself. I enjoy doing it, but I have to take time off work. Right, yeah, and if if not every place allows that time off. I mean, say you're a farmer up there, and you you work when nature allows you to work. You can't just, well, I'm gonna jump uh, and grab the van and take uh, five people down to the local hospital. So it's, again, we could have done better, at least in the state, when it comes to prioritizing veterans things. And, of course, I know the other side that does listen to this podcast, trust me, I've heard from them, um, will say that um, they've put more money in, that this is a balancing out of, you know, the increases that we had. Just, I'm I'm not quite there yet, because there was such a delinquency in providing the care that I think these individuals like yourself have earned because you served the country. Yeah. And it's not just um, talking points to get, you know, I'm not running for a campaign right now. I just think it's legitimate that individuals that have served should be able to expect a certain level of service and care and respect to get what they need in return for the time and commitment that you made to us. Mm-hmm. So... And I've, I've always kind of used the saying, I mean, we we, we served and, and fought for you the least, I mean, the bare least that some of our elected officials could do is fight for us. And not, and not just make a speech on Memorial Day or wave just a flag in the parade on Memorial Day. I mean, really make a commitment to those because we have a very uh, big veteran population per capita in this state. <laughs> and yep. that's something to be proud of. Uh, just through the, the history of World War One, World War Two, and so on, that so many North Dakotans stood up and, and did their bit. They left the farm. They left their livelihoods and and went and did an honorable thing. And the least we could do is, is to not just back them up with words, but with actions. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, so I want to actually talk a little bit more about your, your campaign also. Like sure. I said, I didn't follow that close and, you know, apologize, but... A, you were busy too, <laughs> right? I yeah. get it. <laughs> but the outcomes were the same, unfortunately. But um, so I ran in uh, Fargo and West Fargo. 
you know, people say that, oh, look, yeah, Fargo, you have Grand Force that are, quote, you know, I'm doing air quotes on a podcast, but we frown upon that. It's the, you know, the liberal areas, which I've never considered myself a liberal. I, I'm Neither middle, am I. Middle, middle of the road. And I mean, if you ask the, the left wing of the Democratic Party, they've called me a rich, moderate, old um, individual. And the very far right calls me a liberal wacko. Aren't we so, just like the same age, too? Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I just turned 30 last December, but... Okay, I'm 32, yeah, so... Yeah, uh, well, you know, so of the old, rich, moderate, only one of those descriptors is accurate, and that's the moderate part. But, um, so I, I ran it in Fargo, where it's a little bit more acceptable to be a Democrat yeah. in North Dakota. Um, you ran up in the Crosby... Um, area up uh, District 2 up northwest where they spit sometimes unfortunately when they, they even say the word Democrat which um, the party needs to work on when they get around to it which should have been done in my opinion years ago um, I, I complain that the National Party has forgotten about places like North Dakota and unfortunately I think the state party has forgotten about western North Dakota so what was that even like? I mean, what did you hear out there? Because, I mean, I, I'm sure that you were labeled things like I just said that have been labeled on me that aren't accurate, that you had to deal with every single day out on the campaign trail. Yep, and we, our team kind of sat down. We sat down fairly early, and we really tried hard to look at multiple issues that, that affect people's livelihoods, uh, potholes on roads, your checkbook, healthcare. These are goods and services we use every day. Uh, but just beyond doing an issues campaign, uh, we really tried to find a common narrative. And I know like you mentioned the state party and uh, maybe lack of resources and organizing capacity up in that part of the state and multiple other parts of the state and just the heartland in general. Uh, there's been a real lack of of folks in, within the party and just even nationally that they have a very hard time finding a common narrative and being able to go and talk to a farmer. And I'm not talking about just ag issues. Um, you know, how many people know how to change out cultivator shanks <laughs> or check the fan speed on a combine. Uh, it, it, it's a way of life for people. And to have a common narrative with people, and that even includes folks from the East. I mean. At the end of the day, we're, we're on the same side of the aisle, and when it comes election season, we want to win. But we have to have a message and a common narrative that everybody can get behind in ways that we can walk into the elevator in Ray, North Dakota, and we can talk about the farm markets. Or we can go into Williston or Tioga and talk with the energy industry. And that was one kind of part of the, the autopsy from uh, the campaign was that maybe I didn't reach out to the energy industry enough. And with that, at part of the state came some some myths about Democrats. And of course, yes. Yeah, I mean, the fact that, so I was in office and just wanting responsible energy development, they wanted to go ahead and label me as anti-industry, which is complete and utter nonsense. Yep. And I'm sure that by just being of the same party for those from those of us that were, were pushing to make sure that, you know what, if you're going to put a pipeline in the ground, we're going to make sure it doesn't leak. Or that, yep. uh, you know what, if you're going to load it on a train, you're going to make sure the tracks that that train is carrying that oil on are sturdy enough. Yep. You know I mean? It took a little bit for the other side to catch up to that. Yep. But in the meantime, until they caught up, we were labeled as anti-industry. And I'm 
I'm sorry if that got labeled on you, but it's easy for them to do that. Oh, of course. Uh, and this ties back in like with agriculture. Uh, one thing that I talked about was that I'm not anti-regulation. That's the word they like to throw out. That That's kind of the yeah. their, their 10 second uh, word. It's, I looked at it, I kind of used a common sense uh, analogy with it was you wouldn't run with your shoes untied and it's the same concept. I lived right down the road from where the Blacktail Creek spill took place. Uh, I saw what that did to the farmland. That affects my neighbors, that affects my friends and all we want is to make sure that if you're going to put a well in the ground or any type of infrastructure of that kind that the landowner is also protected because you're looking at people that have done this for a hundred years. This is land that's been passed down. Like I said, it comes back to this is their livelihood. And it needs to be more than just a dot on a map down in Houston or Oklahoma somewhere that you're really playing with somebody's land, their livelihood. Right. Especially if you're dealing with a salt water spill. Absolutely. I mean, it's one thing for, for oil to, you, you can clean that up. It's taking longer than what they expected up in Tioga. Ask the Jensen you know, family up yep. there. Um, that I, I don't quite remember when that spill happened, but we're, I think, three or four years into that cleanup only discovered because some farmer took his tractor across his field and found it. It was because of poor oversight that we didn't know about it. I know it was an accident. Accidents do happen. Yeah. But that's why we should have, instead of just being a state that basically cites the pipeline and then walks away from it, make sure that once it's already cited and in the ground that the product at point A is getting to point B. Yeah. And um, it's we've we've had the opportunity and I mean the, the, the Bakken obviously is still in play thankfully it is still in play uh, prices are, I hopefully will come back uh, it's going to help not only you know the state but the, the economy overall to, to bounce back but so we've had this little breather here if you will um, with prices being down to, to play quote catch up yeah. And unfortunately, that's what we did over the first 10 to 12 years of this play was, well, we were always in catch-up mode, that nobody in state government was planning ahead of things that we all knew were going to happen. I mean, you can't just pump it out of the ground and expect it to, you know, just sit there. You have to transport. They knew it had to. Well, then do it right. But for those of us that called for that, you like you said, the, the, the boogeyman was you wanted to regulate the industry. You know, and that was all generated through ad agencies that were paid through state dollars to do polling and they didn't run, run the campaign against Brandon Delvo no. in 2016. They ran against Bernie Sanders, they ran against Hillary Clinton, they ran against Barack Obama. And unfortunately, as North Dakota Democrats that don't necessarily adhere to the National Party, we get wrapped up in that. And then the local public policy that comes out of Bismarck doesn't benefit the overall state or people that you were trying to represent. Oh, absolutely. I think we saw where there were a lot of talking points that might have been used that didn't necessarily, like I said, have a common narrative with people from Dickinson, Watford City, Williston, any, I mean, just that whole west of Highway 83. Uh, and there's there's been a lack of, of that, talking about rural issues, getting back to uh, some of our roots. I mean, you still have a lot of parents of... You know, World War II veterans, folks that uh, knew the importance of New Deal programs, farm subsidies, uh, crop insurance, soil conservation. These are things that people in rural America use if you're on the farm. And these are social liberal policies. They, they helped 
to market your grain better. They gave you a safety net on the farm markets. They protected you from over-farming the soil. Uh, these are th these are things that we need to get back to to have a little bit of a voice with because they affect everybody out there. Right. Yeah, and the food security is oh, yeah. is not a partisan issue. We all you, need food to sustain yeah, life. Yeah. And so you see uh, now, of course, the, the budget coming again, you know, full circle back to, to President Trump. And you look at the cuts to the Ag Department, yeah, the just the the farm subsidies or you know crop insurance and some people that are, are out there advocating that they should be a United States senator have received millions of dollars in farm subsidies yeah so like you say it's people have relied on this to produce a product though which we all rely on yeah so um, what well, beaten up a little bit on the uh, the right side as far as the Republicans go but I gotta tell you um, there, there's some angst on the left side as well. <laughs> um, you know, last week I, I wrote a piece uh, defending uh, Heidi Heidkamp and, and saying that, look, being simply the party of no, that just resisting everything is a waste of time. And it is. You can't just be the party of no, and locally we can't be the party of I told you so when it comes to the budget situation in North Dakota. But you'd be surprised. Uh, the Republicans that have followed my blog, followed the podcast haven't been as vocally opposed to what I've put out there versus the left wing of the Democratic Party, which is now coming in and very vocal against people like you and I and where we stand. So what's your take on on where they're coming from? Do, do you think that following the national push left of the Democratic Party is going to help or hurt North Dakota? To be honest with you, Tyler, I think it's actually going to hurt if they go further left. And we can... We can look back in history, we can look uh, during the Reagan years, the Democrats took a shellacking then, and then you can kind of even look at when you had your rise with Bill Clinton and Al Gore, uh, they, there was a lot of policies that came back to the center. And we have, we have to accept the, the, the political demographics and the reality of what we're at right now, that going further left is not gonna solve the answer, because you have a lot of people that might say they're Republican, they just might not understand something. They're getting half the story, yeah. basically, is what I'm trying to say. And that it, it, it's it's not feasible to do that because it doesn't resonate. Some of these talking points that the far left might use in Fargo, like I said, it doesn't resonate in places like Williston or Crosby. That's exactly what I was going to say. So you ran in western North Dakota, and you lost. I'm sorry that you lost, but you lost. Could you imagine, tell me, if you would have ran on some of these far left issues that that would have put you over the top that you would have won if you would have ran more of the far left liberal democratic positions you think that would have made the difference to put you over the top it would have been an absolute disaster <laughs> and that's that's what i'm afraid some of the individuals that are out there advocating and talking negative about myself and the positions that you take they think that we're just well there's a reason you two left because you ran too moderate of a campaign it's it's boring well, this isn't supposed to be an exciting football game. Yeah. It's about getting the work done after you get in office. And to get elected, you have to resonate with individuals that you're running to represent. Not just an ideology, not these self-righteous purity tests that I've seen play out all over social media. Yeah. So it's... It's about doing the right thing for the people. And, and I really focused on the people of that area. And I, and I, I like I said, I, I really tried very hard 
to focus on issues that matter to people in Granora, matter to people in Tioga and Ray and Stanley, and it, it would not have been feasible. Uh, and I mean, I'll just put it out there that I never was really attacked because I'd been a combat veteran, I'd been in agriculture, I'd had a lot of the, the foundations of what North Dakota is all about, which is really important to have. Uh, but I did, probably didn't have a lot of the experience. I hadn't maybe been on enough boards, uh, maybe really had some of that name recognition. So, I mean, maybe it could be a question of recruitment. But to just say that one day you're just going to elevate yourself and be a candidate for the United States Senate, if you haven't been on any boards, if you have not really gone through some of the process, because yes, going into public service and maybe getting up to the federal level is a form of a process. It gives you the name recognition and also gives you the experience. And I mean, we have to look at it uh, in common sense reality. We have to accept what's at stake now. We have to accept the, you know, that Trump won a good portion of rural America. But what we're seeing play out now, and I've heard this from Ryan Taylor, I've heard this from Aaron Crowder, I've heard this from numerous other people, is we're seeing a lot of the issues that are now playing out now. And these are these are going to affect everybody through the heartland. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and so, and that's a good transition. Um, so rural America, North Dakota, I think was like 62% voted for President Trump. Yep. Now the budget's out and you've seen other uh, proposals and a lot of the negative impacts of those budgets and those proposals fall squarely on the people that support them, mainly in rural America. Yeah. Egg being one of them. You work for an egg organization. Um, so, do you think that this is going to wake? I don't want to say, no, I will. It's going to wake people up that, you know what? You can't just support the, the party brand um, that... You know, in fact, what he's proposing and what the Republicans have supported at times do not help you as an individual from Crosby, North Dakota. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and this even ties in a little bit with what you said on some of this movement that, you know, the resist and all that. You know, you can look at the rise of the Tea Party. They had something of a common narrative with some people. And we can say that was fueled by many different aspects, but... To just simply come out and just say, I'm just going to resist and be just the party of no. I mean, we, we had a party of no for eight years. And you honestly got to get down to governing. Yeah. And Senator Heitkamp's right on that. You have to roll up Absolutely. your sleeves at the end of the day and you got to get the job done. And you have to do something for the people that, that you serve. And they also have to accept the reality of, do you want that person who has taken the time and has taken the effort to really help advocate for women's issues, rural issues. I mean, a multitude of issues that affect everyday working North Dakotans. Do you want that gone? Right. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't mean to try to transition back, but when we see some of these egg issues that are going to be coming up, and a, a good, common-sense, comprehensive farm bill is something that every person involved in agriculture in North Dakota can get behind having a good safety net. We've had uh, issues of scab and vomitoxin and grain last year. Uh, people aren't selling corn at a high price right now. There's things internationally with trade. We're seeing things pan out with Mexico and Canada. Again, another thing instigated by President Trump that we're yep. going to look at NAFTA and 
uh, renegotiate and now I hear Cuba you know we we heard farmers getting excited that Cuba's markets might be opened up now under you know President Obama yep. well I just saw a report I think last night that President Trump is looking to reverse what Obama did with Cuba those that those, affects the, pocketbooks it, out here completely so <laughs> but you know I, I mean I get it Hillary Clinton was not the perhaps ideal candidate as a Democrat and I you know I it's not like I was running around waving her flag. What have done it for, for for Bernie either. Um, so we we didn't have um, a good alternative. I mean, granted, if the election was held again today, I think uh, so. That I guess that's the question. If the election was held today after the the actual policies and not the political campaign talk, if the policies that President Trump put out there, you know, over the course of his short tenure. If people knew that, do you think they still would have voted 62% in favor of him in North Dakota? To be honest, I don't think it's fully affected the pocketbook yet. Sure. So that would be kind of hard to just put that out there and say yes or no. Uh, it, 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 I mean, time will, will tell on some of that. And we're starting to see some of that. Uh, you were talking about Cuba. Uh, and I've been sharing some facts out even just with my own friends and, and and through my own just social media, my own personal page, uh, sharing some farm facts. And my reasoning on that is that we're going to be looking at a new farm bill next year. We're looking at renegotiating a new farm bill. And I'm really trying to show people different ways that agriculture affects their daily lives. Uh, places you might enjoy, like going to the Statue of Liberty. That uses a, a soybean-based hydraulic fluid in their elevators. Soybeans help with making crayons. Uh, where we rank, we're ranked number three for bison production in the United States. Uh, we're in the top three for wheat. Uh, we all need meat, bread, and those are all things we need to, to eat and sustain life, and I'm really trying to hit home the importance of that. And when they want to wage a war by picking fights with our neighbors through trade, which probably is not good, or uh, you look at 70% of the farm bill programs or nutritional programs, SNAP, uh, ways that we can give kids healthy meals in schools. Uh, I, I, you could probably look any parent in the eye, knock on their door and ask them if they wish their kids could eat healthy meals in school, and I guarantee you they would say yes. Nobody wants their kids eating garbage. Right. <laughs> That's, that all comes back down to a, a farm bill and having a good common sense farm bill that protects our farmers and ranchers. No, I, I, I think you're right. So, I, I mean, now it's up to us to put pressure on individuals. I mean, we have, uh, you know, Senator Hoven, who I think is in a good position to help, and I think he's probably similar to the, the line of thinking of what you and I are when it comes to the farm bill. Probably have to do some work on Congressman Kramer, who you know, seems to go right along with uh, what the president wants and his you know i mean the budget comes down to it's your priorities this is your wish list yep and if this is what the president wishes in his budget it's not good for north Dakota. but if we don't have individuals like you out there talking to the farm groups or talking to your veteran friends about look this is what you need to call your representation about um you know nothing will be improved and it will flow through congress that it will just be the president's business. So I thank you for not only helping uh, with the egg groups that you do and talking with your friends in the egg community, but also the veterans. Because they are owed much more than what they get, both in Bismarck and in D.C. So. Yeah, and I mean, it, 
I think one thing that the 2016 election taught just about every American is that an election year isn't just, it, it's not like a holiday. It, it doesn't just go and pass and then we just move on with our lives. The people that you elect to represent you based on whatever your ideals or your morals or your values might be has a direct effect on your daily life. And if the 2016 election taught us anything, it was that awareness. And I honestly got to say this past legislative session here in North Dakota was probably one of the most covered by people I knew, be it through just hitting the live button on Facebook or actually attending committee hearings, testifying, and it's good to finally see people that are willing to do that. Uh, there's a quote by Walter Burns, who's a well-known uh, constitutional law professor that talks about citizenship isn't just a title, it's about actually taking a place and being involved in your community, and that in itself is a part of patriotism. It's not just lip service, it's not just some made-up title, it's about really taking that extra mile and asking your elected officials hard questions and getting involved in the process. Yeah, yeah and that's, if, if anything as a result since November of last year, I've seen a lot more people on both sides, like you say, be engaged, um, whether it's on the Republican side or Democratic side, that people are paying attention, yeah. which is good. But it's only good if we start on the same factual basis, that these are facts and we can debate, um, we can give our opinions on what direction we want to go from the same set of facts. And that's a whole other conversation we don't have to get into right now. (laughs) I don't want to talk about alternative facts right now. But, uh, you know, but I I do sincerely thank you for your service. Thank you for taking time to share a beer with me. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, keep up the work you're doing with with the eggs, with with the egg community, now with your eggs. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't have chickens anymore. No, you don't have chickens. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Moving out to Jamestown, uh, probably. I don't know that they allow that in city limits here. They they don't, and we probably look like the Clampets showing up to Jamestown. (laughs) (laughs) We came here. I was really hoping we could bring the chickens, but we could. (laughs) But no, but Brandon Devil, I I do appreciate it. And I really do hope that you consider putting your name on a ballot again, because I think North Dakota would be better served in the long run if you do that again. So um, I want to thank you for joining me at uh, Taps Lounge. Absolutely. We'll we'll be having a conversation again, but, you know, cheers. Yeah, cheers to you. (laughs)